0: I'm Monty Schenkel from Take Heart Ministry. It is a joy to come to you today and talk about knowing and doing God's will. For in my years of being a pastor, I've discovered that many people struggle with knowing what God wants them to do. He doesn't want us to live a life in a great fog. He wants to cut through the fog and give us clear direction. That's what he does in his word. And today, we're going to look at how to know God's will in our lives. I want to ask you this morning to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I hope that everybody has a Bible. If you don't have one, there's one a pew in front of you. I'm almost positive that everybody in this building has a cell phone. And some of them will probably ring before we're done this morning, so that'll prove that fact. But on your phone, in all likelihood, you have an app that is a Bible app of some sort. If not, then... Shame on you. You ought to put one on there. And so you can follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Over these last few weeks, we've been talking about moments of decision and how to know God's will, how to discern God's will. And you may have noticed a sign out in front of the church that talks about how do you know God's will in the iffy things? And perhaps you would say, well, now, Brother Monty, in life, there are no iffy things. Everything is black and white. The Bible always makes it clear. Every decision, uh, wait just a minute, folks. Because you go through life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, in accord with God's Word, studying His Word, you're going to have some decisions to make that are not going to be easy decisions to make. You may go this way, you may go this way. You stand at a crossroads, try to make a decision. Sometimes your GPS in your car will fail you sometimes your gps on your phone will put you in the missouri river Uh, so you have to be extremely careful now there is a greater gps than anything you can get on an app and that is the leadership of the holy spirit and god's word we're trusting him to lead us but having said that my mother had a saying okay if, if all else fails trust mom My mom said, it's not hard to do right. It's hard to know right to do. It's not hard to do right. It's hard to know right to do. Now, I'm going to credit her with that statement, okay? Uh, I'm not saying that 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 was original with her at all, but mom was just stating what I think is a truism, that generally speaking, if you know, As a child of God, if you know the right thing to do, even sometimes if you don't want to do it, or if you say, This is a direction that, a different direction, what I really want to go, uh, but if you know the right thing to do, you say, I will do the right thing. As a matter of fact, as a child of God, that's a commitment that we have made. I will do the right thing. The problem is, Mom, Sometimes knowing the right thing to do is not real easy. Sometimes it's not real clear. Sometimes there's a multitude of decisions you could make and different ways you could go, but it's finding the right path. It's doing the right thing that is so important. And ultimately, as a child of God, and I think we can all say this this morning, what we want more than anything else is to please our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want more than anything else. It doesn't mean that there won't be times in our life, as a child of God, that we get off the path and do not please the Lord. But one of the surefire signs that we are a Christian is that when we get off the path, we get back on the path. Because the greatest desire that we have in our heart is to please the Lord. And even whether we're conscious of it or not, every one of us that know the Lord, we're focused on a day when we're going to stand before Him, and that's not legalism. That is the love for the Lord that motivates us to want to please Him. It is not even some kind of uh, uh, self-exaltation to hear us say, or to believe in our heart, that we really want to hear Him say someday, well done. It's not just you want a preacher to stand over your casket someday and say concerning, as we seem to do over every person that dies, someday they're going to stand before God. God's going to say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't trivialize that moment when we stand in his presence and we want to hear hear him say, we desire to hear him say. More than anything else in this world that appeals to us, what we want most is to hear him say, well done. Now, in every issue across the board, so this morning I'm going to take what you might call kind of an obscure passage of scripture. If you're looking to do a devotion, you're probably not going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and if you want to explain something to somebody, you're probably not going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and if you want to do an in-depth Bible study, you're probably not going to go to First Corinthians chapter 8, but I'm telling you, this is a very important passage of scripture. And it has something to do with something we're never going to have anything to do with. When was the last time you went to a backyard barbecue and they offered you this on your plate and said, this was just offered to an idol? That probably has never happened. I don't think that can happen. In my lifetime, I've been to a whole lot of barbecues. I have a lot of evidence of the fact that I've been to a lot of barbecues, but I've never gone to one where somebody has offered up an offering to an idol and said, I just want you to know this has been offered to an idol. Well, if it was an offer to an idol, I would say an idol doesn't mean anything. There's only one God, right? Uh, There's only one Lord, right? And even when I'm trying to write or type something, when I'm talking about gods, plural, I always try to write with a little g. But when I'm talking about God, singular, the only God, I'm always writing with a big G because there is only one big G God. And he has a son, and his name is Jesus, and he's the one we worship. So if you say, well, if I eat something that's been offered an idol, it doesn't mean anything, because I know that an idol doesn't mean anything, and all these other gods are not really existent. There's something that somebody's made up. They carved them out of wood. They made them out of a stone. It's a figment of their imagination, or as Jonathan used to say, a fragment of their imagination. It's a fragment of their imagination, and so it doesn't really mean anything. Well, let's read, and I'll explain Paul writes to a group of people that are obviously concerned about this. He said, as as touching things offered unto idols, we know, uh, we, we have knowledge, and we know some things. We know some things. The implication here is other people don't know. But you need to be careful because knowledge puffs you up. But charity builds you up. Love builds you up. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing. Yet he ought as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning therefore the eating of those things which are offered to sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other god but one. This is Paul's argument. For though there be uh, those things that are called gods little g whether in heaven or in earth uh, there be many gods uh, and many lords but to us there is only one the father of whom all things and uh, of whom are all things and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom whom are all things, and we by him. Now be it, there is not in every man this knowledge. So you could go around the world and you'd find a whole lot of people that have a God living in their house, something they've fashioned, something they've crafted, maybe something related to their ancestors, maybe been in their family for generations, and this is what they worship. Can you imagine having to worship a piece of wood the very same wood that you cook supper over, the very same wood that keeps your house warm, yet you craft it into an image and you worship that and you proclaim it to be a God or something you've crafted out of gold and put value in And He said, we know that, how, he says in, in, in around the world, people don't have the knowledge that there's only one God. They don't have the knowledge that he just has one son. They don't know these things. So verse 7, "Howbeit, There is not in every man that knowledge and some with conscience, of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience is weak, being weak is, is defiled, but meat eating at a barbecue commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we worse, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak, for if any man see... See thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, we sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend now there's some guidelines in this passage of scripture don't get just locked into the fact that this is all about whether you should eat meat that's offered in idols or not because there are guidelines here about our daily living there are three principles that rise up and they relate to these three words the the law the law and then there is liberty and then there is license Now, when I talk about the law, this is what I mean. Because of the Jewish law concerning unclean eating, there was a conflict. If you have been raised in a Jewish home and there was that which is clean, that which is unclean, your reaction might be a whole lot like Simon Peter when he's down in Joppa and the Lord lets down this cloth in front of him full of all kinds of unclean creatures and says, rise, Peter, take and eat. And your first response is going to be, not so, Lord. And so then you go to this friend's house and this friend sets food in front of you and you say, I know that food was offered an idol and I know that that food is unclean. And I n- no, no way, because just because of my conscience, I cannot do that. We're not living under law they were no longer under the law they were under grace but their conscience would not let them do that they had found grace and yet they struggled with that issue eating meat offered to an idol was not going to send them to hell but it was still abhorrent to them Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet, and now by podcasts, that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Moni Schenkel or you can write to mschenkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. And then there's liberty. You would say, well, okay, here's, here's this argument. We're absolutely free. And we are. I would say this to you this morning. Those who, who know the grace of God are free. We're living under liberty. You have freedom to eat, and you have freedom to not eat. You say, well, it's a, it's a matter of conscience. I heard years ago, the conscience is a wonderful goad, but it is a terrible guide. So you come to a situation, you're trying to make a decision, We people say, well, let your conscience be your guide. What you find about your conscience is it bothers you, it stirs your heart, it disturbs you. Now, a person can deaden their conscience and feel good about most anything and can say, well, I can do whatever I want to. I'm a child of God. It doesn't bother me. I'm under grace. And because of God's grace, I have absolute freedom to do whatever I want to do. Well, you've been made free from the law. But the Word of God says, use your freedom to serve the Lord. You're not condemned. Enjoy it. You're free from 600-plus laws. But does that give you the liberty to do whatever you want to do? So we got law, we got liberty, and then we got license. And that is... Folks would say, well, yeah, we are free to do everything, so it doesn't really matter whether I sit and eat the meat offered to idols or whatever I do. It's nobody else's business. I am free to do whatever I want to do. In fact, the fact of the matter is, I am under grace. And remember, preacher, once saved, always saved. So I can do whatever I want to do. I'm not worried about losing my salvation. Well, perhaps you should be. Because if the attitude walking into any sin is, I can do this, irrespective of what God says about it, what the Bible teaches about it, I can just do this because I'm under liberty. You've moved from liberty to license. And the the question really is not whether or not you lose your salvation. The question really is, were you ever truly saved to begin with? Because a child of God has this desire, and that is to please the Lord, to follow after the Lord. You see, with regard to grace, there are three different teachings. There's this thing called cheap grace. I like to call it greasy grace. I'm just going to slide through life. And so, you buy into cheap grace, which says no accountability, and after all, my sins are covered by the blood. And in a a cavalier way, you just walk through life, irrespective of the decisions you make. Then there is the group that live under no grace. And that is, you've got to walk the line they're not those iffy decisions so much. You just have to walk the line, and you must keep the law. Those are the no grace people. But then there are those that are living under God's grace, and this is where Paul takes us in 1 Corinthians, chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter ten. And that is, there's some ways that we're supposed to walk, some decisions we're supposed to make, that uh, and some actions that we take that we must regard. What does the Lord want me to do? In difficulties. Through the years, America's convictions have changed. Have you noticed? Did anybody watch the last two weeks of television in the evenings? Either the Republican National Convention or the Democratic National Convention, if you. But those of us as outsiders that are observing what is going on in our. Uh, in our politics, in the political world, we know that that has changed. But when we look at America church life today, we know that things have changed. It's reflected in our different churches. It is reflected in our denominations. And so America's convictions have Evolved. Now, some of you can't relate to this this morning, but, I, but some of you can. So I'm just going to share some things with you that I have watched change. When, when, uh, and, and these have to do with decisions that we make along the way. Uh, when you grow up in a home like I grew up in, here here's some of the things. We were not allowed to play cards in our home. We could play rook. Now, now think about this. Now, I'm I'm talking about an iffy thing. We we were not allowed to have playing cards. We could have rook cards, and that is totally different. I guess my parents must have thought there would come a day when I'd be a professional gambler. I don't know. (laughs) We did not dance. I went to a sock hop one time in the eighth grade. We did not drink never can ever imagine alcohol ever being in our home it just was not allowed not permitted not done social drinking wasn't even a topic now you have to understand this also though i grew up in tobacco country i paid for my first car by selling a crop of burley tobacco there was absolutely nothing wrong with tobacco and actually, it would, it would purify you because if you walked into the church house through the smoke that was generated by the deacons, no respecting lice would stick to you. They would drop off on the way in. You would be fumigated. I remember as a kid, my dad smoked cigars, King Edward cigars. And I also remember when my dad quit smoking cigars because he felt convicted by the Holy Spirit to stop smoking cigars. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist preacher of all time, supposedly smoked cigars. He said it was okay if it was not done in excess. Somebody said, what would be excess? He said, two at a time. We are delving now into the silliness of Baptist life sometimes. Mom wore a dress to church, and pretty much 365 days a year she wore a dress. If she's working the garden, she might not have wore a dress, or she might have wore a dress. We all read out of the same Bible when we went to church, the King James Version of the Bible. And some of you say, Brother Monty, why don't you set your King James Version aside? And why don't you pick up in one of these more modern translations? And you've just read a passage of Scripture this morning. If you'd read in a modern translation, we would would have known what you were talking about. And that's why I try to explain as we go along. Because obviously, people today are not as educated as they used to be. But, but I mean... Not reading out of the King James Version in the culture that Betty and I grew up in would not mean that you were going to hell, but it might mean you were on a very slippery slope. There was no lottery, but we were not allowed to play marbles for keeps. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Pitching pennies was taboo. Quote Statler Brothers. Never in all of my life have I ever bought a chance on a quilt or a gun or any such thing. It's because that's what I heard in my home. That'll lead you. you You'll be on television, a professional gambler, if you do that. That's what's going to (laughs) happen. We attended church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every Sunday night, it was agony for a kid to go to church because the wonderful world of Disney came on. About time we're leaving the house. I was a full-grown adult before I knew that Old Yeller died. I. (laughs) Never got to watch the whole thing. I could sure pretend to be sick and try to get to stay home, but we did not work on Sunday. Um, my dad never cut grass on Sunday. Amen, Betty? My dad never cut grass. I have, I've never, ever, ever mowed my yard on Sunday. Never. Never. Now, perhaps if the ox was in the ditch, which basically for us would have meant if the cows got out and got on the road. But if they were out on Saturday and you left them out, then that was not an excuse to do anything on Sunday. I might go fishing or squirrel hunt on Sunday afternoon, but I would be back in time for church without fail. You say, Brother Monty, all these tickety-tack little legalistic things that, Look how normal I grew up. Look how normal I grew up. And it was a good life, folks. Don't let anybody ever tell you anything other than that. Things have changed. And most of what I've told you is considered absolutely ridiculous today. And there are activities that you struggle with and some you don't. And you will find Christians today that will argue for the use of alcohol. Even profanity in the pulpits. Pornography, as long as it's not hurting anybody. Greed, gluttony, Lord help us. You say, don't, don't go there. Disregarding the Lord's Day. I mean, it's all different kinds of things. And, and actually, what, what you can do this morning is you can plug these, what we would call not central issues, but peripheral issues with regard to serving the Lord. You can plug those things in. And the issue that you're dealing with this morning, you can plug that in. Here's one. The late Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of Jim Elliot, who was killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador, wrote on this very topic in The Liberty of Obedience. James Boyce quotes her when he said, he said, she'd always had the idea, perhaps as a product of her Christian upbringing, that there was a certain type of clothing that was right for a Christian to wear. And conversely, there was clothing that was wrong. But then she went to Ecuador, and she found herself in the midst of a tropical people who wore little or no clothes at all. What did her standards have to do with them? Should she dress new converts, lead them to the Lord, get clothes on them? Should their standards prevail? She said the problem became even more complex when she realized in time that although the women in the tribe wore almost no clothing, they were nevertheless conscious of the proper and modest ways to walk, sit, and stand. The entire problem forced her to ask herself if there was anything inherently Christian or non-Christian in the way we dress in America. We are not under bondage. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, perish the thought. Some would have the idea that if sin abounds then grace doth much more abound. So the more you sin, the more grace you get. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, perish the thought. So you say, how do you determine what is right, what is wrong? Let me give you a rubric. For, I learned about rubric from my kids in school. Four, four questions to ask. You may want to flip that nominating committee list over, and after you sign up for a half dozen jobs, then you might want to write this, these four questions down. And they come out, the answers come out of 1 Corinthians. Number one. Now, this is talking about dealing with iffy things, things you may struggle with or you, you may, sh- should struggle with. Number one, is it best? Is it best? As a believer, is this the best course of action I can take? Better than good, better than better. Is it best? Listen to what Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 12. All things are lawful unto me. We're not under the law anymore, folks. So, when dealing with the iffy things, you could understand, you could say, Well, all things are lawful for me, but he says this all things are not expedient. They're not a must, they're not the best all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He says very much the same thing. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now the question that comes up is this, is the course of action I'm deciding, and this this could be about one of these iffy things, or it could be a decision you're facing this morning Does it not make sense to make the best decision? When you've got more than one option. I mean, some of you are going to get on the internet and you're going to Google it. And you're going to try to discern. I mean, you're going to do a check on... Uh, which product is the best, a product analysis. You're gonna do that when you get ready to buy a refrigerator. Shouldn't it also be the same in the major decisions of your life? The question is, is the course of action I'm about to take the best? I am free, but how closely does this align with Scripture? Given all the facts, does this decision appear to be the best one you can make for yourself, for your family, is it best? Number two. Can it bind? Can it bind? Look at First Corinthians chapter six verse twelve again. He says, "All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will need be, not be brought under the power of any." Now, what does it mean when I say, "Can it bind"? Well, quite simply, if Paul says, I will not be brought under the power of any, it simply means there's some activities in our life that have the ability to bring us under its power and hold us. And so, I've never had a drink in my life. If I listen to what some folks say, I could be an alcoholic. But I've never had a drink in my life. I've never touched it. Chances of me becoming an alcoholic are pretty slim if I never touch it. Right? There's a good way to keep from drinking too much, and that is don't start drinking. Now, I have been a glutton for punishment in this church. Now, I have been a glutton. Uh, A lot of us say, well, we're gluttons for punishment. No. Have have I ever overeaten? Mm Mm-hmm. Have I ever been on a diet? Sometimes two diets at a time. Because I don't get enough to eat with one, so then I go to two. (laughs) It's a very rare thing that we're going to walk into Baptist church and talk about gluttony. Don't do that. One of my sons was talking to a co-worker the other day and, and basically I guess was inviting him to church and and he said, well, I, I, I don't go to church. I used to go to church, but there's so many hypocrites in church. And he said, uh, so I don't go because of the hypocrites in church. And, and my son replied, yeah, and there's a lot of fat people in fitness clubs. <laughs> they will not prohibit you from joining a fitness club. I mean, what's the point? So enough of that probably too much, but when he says, the author of Hebrews writes that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, there are besetting sins that probably merits another sermon, but there are weaknesses and I think many of us as we go through the course of life we begin to figure out what our weaknesses are there may be somebody whose weakness is, is drugs there may be somebody who has a weakness with alcohol there may be somebody that has a weakness with, uh, with cigarettes there may be somebody who has a weakness with gluttony there may be any number of things that are weaknesses that take us under their power. More and more research is coming out to say that uh, pornography redesigns the way the mind operates and thinks. So what does it do? It has a binding effect on a man or a woman. So when we begin to look at all of these things, we ask the course of action, what I'm getting ready to do, is it gonna be something I'm gonna fall so much in love with that it is gonna have control of me? Will it bind? Can it bind? Number one, is it best? Number two, can it bind? Number three, oh, by the way, while we're talking about binding, let me me make a couple other things, uh, observations. I, let me see, where's my phone? I'm just wondering. If anybody has sent me a message in the last minute or two. I'm wondering what's going on on the Drudge Report. I'm wondering if words with friends or words with enemies, if somebody has played me. As a matter of fact, my sister has. She's on a different time zone. Uh, So this is an addiction. And while it could be for great good, I'm coming to the opinion that it is affecting the spiritual level of people in America. You, some of you can't even come to church without looking at Facebook. So touchscreens can can bind. They can have that kind. Of, you said, brother Mike, this is ridiculous. I mean, you can't go through life asking all these questions. Well, listen, don't, Paul said, don't be brought under the power of any of these things. Don't let it wrap you in its snare. Don't let it wrap the chains around you so that you cannot break out. Is it best? Can it bind? And by the way, some of those binding things can even refer to personal relationships. There's this guy, there's this gal. What starts this innocent uh, flirtation in your mind reaches a point where you are bound and you're led off in the wrong direction. Is it best? No. Can it bind? Yes. Will it bother? Now you say, Pastor, will it bother? What do you mean by that? 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 paul says take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak verse 13 Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no meat while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Chapter 9, verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Chapter 10, verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man and others. Now, here's the point, and that is... Somebody looks at your life, you say, well, I can't live in such a way that if, if it bothers, what I'm doing, if it bothers somebody, I'm, I'm not a people pleaser, and it's none of their business, the life that I'm living, and to a great extent, you are, you nailed it, you're right, but Paul said, Here's where we come back to these Christian things in our life, these principles in our life, and that is that if I'm living a life, not, not just that somebody is bothered by it, and so you say, well, it's offended their weaker conscience, but if it causes somebody to stumble, he says, if eating meat offered an idol causes my brother to stumble, then I, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. Here's the fourth thing. Does it build? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not necessary. All things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not build me up. And the thing that we're wanting as a Christian is to do those things that are going to make us walk straighter, Love more pure, purely to the Lord. Things that are going to build us up, help us to grow in our walk with the Lord. I mean, stand as close to the Lord as we can. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever thing is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever thing is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Focus on the things that build us up. So let's make good choices. We're better because we make good choices. We live freer because we make good choices. We have greater influence because we make good choices. And sometimes in the course of life, hey, folks, you you don't have to Say, well, this is what my preacher did, and this is what my preacher said, and all that. No, no, no. You're a believer, and you're, you're a priest before God, and you take these things to the Lord. But there may be some things in your life that God is going to lay, you, lay on your heart that you need to make some adjustments. Ask the four questions Is this best? Can it bind? Will it bother? Will it build? We're called to holiness. Bible says to follow after holiness without which no one can see the Lord. I want to ask you to bow your head this morning. We're dealing with iffy things. Maybe to some extent, in some minds at least, we're dealing with Silly things. And there's so much of it that's between you and the Lord. The freedom we have in Christ is not just free from the penalty of sin, it is free from the power of sin. And we do fail, not just in the iffy things. But sometimes in the no doubt things, we fail, we fall right flat on our face. But I am thankful for a Savior who has made me free from the law of sin and death. He has set me free that I might live a victorious life. And when I find myself in bondage, I need to get out of that bondage. And if you're dealing with an issue today that is, you are genuinely wrestling with it. Then ask the Lord to help you. Take it to the Lord, let him give you guidance and he will guide you and he'll guide you properly. Let these four questions be a rubric for obedience to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.